This sermon, Heavenly Anchors in Our Earthly Storm, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, February 5th, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, good morning. Would you please open your Bibles with me to Acts 27. Acts 27. Man, it's been, I think... I think we're going on almost a year and a half with a few short breaks uh, in the book of Acts. It's amazing, but we are just about to the end. This morning, we are going to be looking at chapter 27, so would you stand with me with your Bibles open? If you're visiting, we like to stand as a way to put the reading of God's Word, just uh, elevate it in all that we are doing here this morning. Acts 27... Paul continues to be carried to Rome by God himself. 27 verse 1, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adermidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. And when we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Simone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on a chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run against, uh, run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. 
So when the 14th night had come, and as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding at about 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of you, of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all were encouraged, and some ate food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the weed into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach." But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any could swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Please be seated. Lord, this is your word. Give us ears to hear. Cause it to take root in our hearts for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Acts 27 has been called one of, the, uh, one of the most famous and accurately described ancient shipwrecks in history. They cite the description of the different ships they sailed, the weather, weather patterns that, that, that they faced and how they described them, and the routes that they sailed to try and avoid the trouble Many historians say that the details here are amazingly accurate for a ship caught in a storm in the Mediterranean Sea at that time. And just as a side note, you know, I thought this week the the accuracy that we see here that's testified to, isn't it a reminder that the very book we just read, that Far, though it's far more, it is a book of history. It is a, a book of God working out his purposes in real space and time. Like, like the storm in our text, people witnessed events of the Bible. They, they gave verbal testimonies. They wrote down their testimonies with amazing detail and accuracy. And so if we can just pause for a moment... And remind ourselves that that this is just one more reason that we should have confidence as we approach God's word. That we should have confidence in the veracity of the Bible. And oh how we need that confidence, especially in the storms of life. Acts 27 is meant to strengthen our faith and our courage as we face storms of a very different kind than Paul. You know what I'm talking about when I, when I say the storms of life. Sometimes they are a slow brew, like a relationship that keeps declining. 
or the illness that keeps surfacing and yet the doc can't correctly diagnose it. And other storms are sudden. They come out of nowhere. They're sudden and they're, fe- and, and they're fierce. One day you are healthy, you go run your routine labs, and the next day you're prepping for cancer. One moment you're driving to the store, the phone rings, and you hear the words, this is your mom. Your father just passed away. We had that situation right here in our own midst last week, didn't we? Mike and Yvette, we are so grateful, and I asked them if I could share. We are so grateful that you're here this morning. We have been praying for you. We, we love you. And it is, it is our privilege to carry this burden with you. But you know, Mike and Yvette, just a week ago, they were on their way to church, doing what they do every Sunday. And the phone rang. And Yvette hears, your brother has had a heart attack and they can't resuscitate him. And before we were done meeting, her brother had passed. A sudden and fierce storm. Listen, in these moments, in these moments, what keeps us anchored? What calms our troubled hearts when the storm is raging all around us? Acts 27 gives us answers. It gives us three heavenly anchors for our earthly storms that, that I believe in the power of God enable us to thrive spiritually even though the storms that are raging around us seem impossible to even survive. Now, before we get into those, let's just take a moment and get up to speed because really we're going to spend most of the time in our most time this morning in verses 21 through 25. But, but as we dive into chapter 27, two years have passed since chapter 26. Remember, Paul appealed to Caesar. So two years have gone by, and now Paul is finally on his way to Rome. In the first three chapters, all was well, but the storm now has begun to brew. In fact, the storm was getting so bad that Paul himself, in verse 9, we read it, he warned them not to set sail. They ignored him, and they set sail anyway. And it doesn't take very long in the story where we see they are underway, and suddenly this storm turns on them with a vengeance. If you were looking at a, at a, at a uh, at, at a map of, uh, of um, the Mediterranean in Paul's time, they began over here by Caesarea. They would have sailed up, ported, and then came down, and the, the storm actually pushed them south, 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 so that when they finally shipwrecked on Malta, they were, they were fairly south of Italy. And so this storm was driving them. It was a fierce storm. This storm was notoriously famous for hurricane forest winds. You know how we name our storms? Well, the sailors had a name for this storm. In verse 14, Luke says the sailors, the sailors called it the, 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 the Euroquilo or the Northeaster. You can look it up. It was, it was a wintertime storm. As sure as monsoons hit Arizona in August, this, this northeaster would hit this part of the Mediterranean in the winter months, and it wreaked havoc. In fact, notice verse 20. It says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, these guys were socked in. 
And I know what that means because I'm from the Northwest. And no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Seasoned sailors. These men know how to navigate storms. Their conclusion, we've done what we can do. It's over, guys. We're not going to make it. If, if they had cell phones back then, right, this is about the time that everybody would be texting to their loved ones back on, on the mainland. I love you. It was over. All hope was abandoned, but not Paul. Paul was anchored, as we will see, in three heavenly realities. The first one is this, God's promised presence. God's promised presence is an anchor in the storm. Notice verse 22. All hope has been given up by uh, the people on the boat. And Paul steps in and says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and worship. Paul stands up. Everybody has abandoned all hope. And Paul says, no, no one will die. The Lord appeared to me and told me so. You know, when you consider Paul's travels, he had hundreds, perhaps thousands of miles on the sea under his belt. In verse 37, when we read, Luke tells us there were 276 people on board. Who knows how many of those, how many dozens of those were seasoned sailors? But for Paul, neither experience nor expertise anchored his confidence. In the midst of the storm, he could stand up with confidence because it was anchored in the presence of the Lord. Did you notice what he said there? In verse uh, 23, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord. In this case, the presence of the Lord was with him through the appearance of this angel. And this is where Paul, or where Paul put his hope. The ship was sinking, but Paul knew that the Lord was with him. And it's so easy to just move, gloss over that detail, but, but we can't because God's most significant promise to his people is his constant presence. He never promises that he will not allow any storms into your life. In fact, Jesus promised just the opposite. What he does promise is his presence. In fact, from, from the garden to Moses to the prophets, the mark, of, the mark of and the source of confidence for God's people was always his presence. Be it the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Red Sea or the ark. God's presence, God's promised presence is something that Paul was counting on. This is what Jesus promised also, didn't he? When he commissioned the disciples and the great commission in Matthew 28, 20. How did he end that? You're going to go out and be my, you're going to go out and, and you are going to go and you are going to share my name and you're going to baptize people and I'm going to save them and then you're going to, they're going to bring, come into the church and you're going to teach them to do everything that I have instructed. Great, we got it. But how does he end? He doesn't end with what they're called to go do. He ends with, and I will be with you. To the end. There's nothing that you go through. There's nothing you're going through right now that God is not 
going through with you. And while an angel might not appear at your bedside tonight, in the midst of the storm, there are a lot of ways that God reminds you of his promised presence through his word. How about through the encouragement of a friend who knows you're hurting? How about right now? Through a small gathering like this where we have sung of God's faithfulness and his commitment to his people. Or a sermon where you hear God has promised he will always be with you. That they are small, they are seemingly small, but significant ways that the Lord reminds us he is with us in the midst of the storm. Our problem is not the lack of God's presence. He never takes his eyes off of us. Not one sparrow falls from the sky apart from our heavenly Father knowing. Our problem is that we, we take our eyes off of him. And if that's you this morning, maybe exactly what you need to hear is he's there. He's there. Do you see him? I love what C.S. Lewis says. He walks, speaking of God, he walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend. In fact, to come awake. Still more, to remain awake. Oh, we, we believe in, God's, in, the, in the promise of God's presence, but, but it is so easy to feel all alone when the ship is sinking, isn't it? If that's you today, hear and believe the words of Hebrew 13, 5. I will never leave nor forsake you. Whatever your storm is today, ask the Lord to awaken your faith and your affections and your longings to that truth. Ask him to awaken your faith to his merciful and powerful and faithful presence. Not after the storm, in the storm, during the storm. If you're not in a storm today, see these words as God preparing you for the storm. Because it's coming, right? It's coming. We don't know. We don't know the phone call we may get after church. So, Paul is anchored. How does Paul, in the midst of a sinking ship, how does he handle what's going on? He is anchored, not in expertise, not in experience, but in the promised presence of God. He's also anchored in God's saving son. That's a second anchor. God's saving son is an anchor. Notice verse 23. It says, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord. And then look at, the, look at these words. To whom I belong. Four, four words. Not that impressive, to whom I belong. In the storm, Paul remembered he belonged to God. He doesn't belong to the sea. He doesn't belong to fate. He doesn't belong to the control of men. He doesn't belong to a medical diagnosis. He doesn't belong to an upbringing. He belongs to God. My God said, the one to whom I belong. Listen, this is more than a general statement that flows from the fact that God created me he created all things, therefore all things belong to him. That's true, 
That's, that's not the driving theology here. This is a gospel proclamation. This is an identity statement. Paul is identifying with Christ. All things Paul identifies with Christ. And this one is no different. He belongs to God because he is purchased with the blood of Jesus. Paul understands justification by faith alone. Paul understands how one comes to know Jesus and belong to God. It's the gospel. In his excellent commentary on Acts, James Montgomery Boyce fleshes this idea of belonging to God out in three ways. He says, one, as the church in Christ, we belong to God as the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Second, in Christ, you belong to God as a sheep belongs to its shepherd. And then the third one, and this is one that really that really captured my attention. In Christ, you belong to God as a child belongs to a father. Consider that for a moment. Consider the basic human duty a father feels toward his children. I know that there are some who, who don't. And if that was your father, I'm sorry. Your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. But every father, whether or not they, they give themselves to it or they run away from it, there, there is a basic human duty that God has put within a father. Consider, if you're a father here, consider the lengths of which you would go, of which perhaps you have gone to protect your child. You, in Christ, belong to God as his child. He is your father. And like Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 11, if an earthly father would give good things to his child, how much more will our heavenly father give to us? It's an amazing promise that we have in Jesus. And no matter how hard, how hopeless, how horrific the storm may seem, your identity in Christ as the forgiven and accepted possession of God, child of God, beloved of God, that should anchor our hearts in peace. It did Paul's. An angel appeared before me and told me the God whom I belong to told me. And listen, there's a good reason why this should be an anchor in our hearts, this idea that we identify with Christ. We belong to God through, by faith in Jesus Christ because ultimately, think about your storm right now. Maybe you've written it down in your notes. Maybe it's distracting you right now, this very moment from the sermon. Ultimately, only one storm can sink you. Only one. It's the storm of God's judgment for your sin. One day, every human being will stand before the throne of God and give account for how and who they lived for. And Scripture teaches us that the moment we're conceived in our mother's womb, we're in trouble. 
We're born with a sinful nature. It's why we sin. If you stand before God on your own merits, you will experience a whirlwind of wrath of the likes with which you can't even begin to fathom. But here's the deal. That storm, that storm was dealt with 2,000 years ago on the cross where Jesus was swept away by it. He endured the gale forces of the divine wrath of God as he hung, bloodied, and bruised his father from eternity past, looking upon him, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, that though he knew no sin, God looked upon him as if he had committed every one of our sins. And that storm rested on Jesus for hours. The Bible describes it as drinking a cup of holy wrath. And he drank it dry. He looked the storm in the face. And he bore all it had for you and I. He bore it for us. He faced the hurricane of eternal justice for your sake. So that now, by faith in Jesus you belong to God, hidden, safe, and secure from the ultimate storm that will come on Judgment Day. Listen, and you know what? Jesus did not abandon you in that ultimate storm. He didn't. So why would he abandon you now in a comparatively <laughs> smaller storms of this life? Listen, whatever storm you are experiencing right now, Satan will come to you and he will tempt you with five words. God doesn't care about you. Just look at your life. There you go, 10 years, 10 years, 10 words. When that happens, you, you preach to yourself, you preach to yourself that Christ endured the storm by the mercy of God and with great joy, according to Hebrews 12, 3. He endured this one storm that you could never survive. And so for you, there is no storm you fear. Listen, it's a reminder we never outgrow the gospel, right? We never outgrow the gospel, and we must preach it to ourselves daily if we are going to continually live in the good of it. And how true is that even more in the midst of life's storms? And listen, if you're here this morning, whether you're young or you're old, but you don't know Jesus, you don't, have, you don't have faith in him, you've never come to that place in your life where you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the righteousness that God requires on the day of judgment. If that's you this morning, you, I don't know what your storm is, and, and perhaps you may uh, th be thinking that, that your storm has driven you here. Well, that might be so in, in an earthly way, humanly speaking, but ultimately God has brought you to this place. He has allowed this storm into your life, indeed, perhaps even to bring you here where you can hear people sing about Jesus, where you can hear a sermon preached about the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I pray that before you leave here, you can turn from your sin, put your faith in Jesus. And if you're not quite sure what that means, 
there will be pastors and other people who would love to talk to you about that. So, so Paul is anchored. In the midst of this storm, the ship is sinking. He is anchored in the promised presence of God. He is anchored, anchored in the saving son of God. And then he is anchored in the unchanging character of God. Notice verse 25. Let's just, for context, let's read the whole thing. Verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Verse 25, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. I love love this scene. The professionals are panicked. They did everything they knew to do. It wasn't enough and they gave up hope. But Paul is anchored in the words of God. He believed God. God said, Paul, no one will die. You're getting to Rome. And he believed him. Paul saw the same dangers. I mean, just listen, imagine the scene. If they're standing on the deck of the boat, Paul is just as wet as they are. Paul is just as cold as they are. The waves are coming over the side of the boat and causing Paul to gasp for air just as much as they are. But he believes his God. And his God has said, I will see you through. And at that moment, as Paul looks these men in the eyes, he has a choice. Will I look out or will I look up? And he looks up. Paul chooses to live by faith, not sight. He trusted in God's unchanging character that God was and he always has been to his people a faithful God who does what he says, a God who keeps his promises to his people. Do do, do you remember? Do you remember the promise in chapter 23, verse 11? A few years removed we are now. But you remember that? Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And now, amid the storm when all looks lost, God affirms that promise to him. Did you catch that in verse 24? You must stand before Caesar. Paul believes him. Listen, you, you and I don't have the luxury of direct special revelation. <laughs> but we do have this promise. The, 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 this, the, this angel's words to Paul are for us today. We have the promise that God is sovereignly and providentially with us in Christ. And it doesn't matter It doesn't matter if it's the Northeaster. It doesn't matter if it's the big kahuna of storms. God has promised he is with us. And he has promised that he will complete what it is that he began. He has promised that he will preserve us to the end. And no storm can alter that. No storm can alter his purposes for you. God's purpose was for Paul to go to Rome. So Paul's going to Rome. Whatever God's purposes are for you, they will be accomplished. 
And, and listen, that's part of storms, right? We, he knows what we need when we need it, and he graciously provides it, right? And so like the call to worship that we heard this morning, this should drive out of our fears. This just shouldn't lighten our fears. This just shouldn't take the edge off of our fears. This should drive our fears out. Our fears are no match for an unchanging God. Our fears are no match for an all-powerful God who, be it kings or governors, or unruly mobs, or the elements of the weather itself. He told this storm, you will only go so far. You will only cause so much destruction and damage. What an encouragement in the midst of storms to know that we have the anchor of God's promised presence his saving son and his unchanging character now listen there's two important implications of this there's more implications but these are the two that I believe the Lord wants us to see this morning two important implications of being properly anchored in the storm. The first one is this. When we are appropriately anchored, we grow spiritually through the storm. Through the storm. I love what Kent Hughes says. He says, we are often objective-oriented, but God is process-oriented. We just want to get to Rome. But God is even more interested in how we get there. There's, there's a saying in the motorcycle world, sorry, you got to endure this. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not about being there. It's about getting there. God is doing something. He has, he has assured he will see you to heaven in one sense, you, you are sanctified fully before his presence, and yet we live in a fallen world. The presence of sin remains in our hearts, and until the day that Christ returns, he wants to do something in us. He wants to progressively change us, sanctify us, make us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. We just want to get to Rome. Can't can I just get there? God says, no, I'm doing a work in you. Think about Moses. Can't we just let the people go? No, I'm going to display my power. The process is important. I'm going to display not only to you and my Hebrew people, but I'm going to display to Pharaoh and his people that I'm a God of power unmatched power. I'm a God of glory. Glory that no throne or royal earthly line could ever hold a candle to. God cares about process. When Israel was in the wilderness, they were starving. So God sent what? Manna from heaven. Great! We can eat. But just take what you need for the day. If you take more, it'll be rotten in the morning. Why? Because I'm doing something. I could just lay out a feast for you, but I'm teaching you to trust me. I'm revealing my power and my glory to you. God is a God of process. We just want to get from point A to point P, but that is not God's way. This perspective is so true and so critical because the storms in your life are evidence that God is at work. They are evidence that there is a process going on in you. Now, I can't tell you all the reasons God brings the storms into your life, but I can tell you the reason that's at the top of his list so that you will treasure and trust Jesus more and more as you experience his sufficient grace 
and power for the storm as you await heaven in this fallen world. That's the process ultimately. Now, it'll look different for all of us. My process doesn't look the same as yours. And there's plenty of ways that they overlap. But this is what God is doing. Why can't you just get Paul to Rome so Caesar will get saved? Because God has some other things in mind. Maybe some sailors need to be saved. (laughs) Maybe somebody on Malta needs to be saved. Maybe Paul needs to see the power and glory of God in a very unique way so that he can continue to take courage. J.C. Ryle says, by affliction... God shows us our emptiness and weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, makes us long for heaven. In the resurrection morning, we shall all say, it is good for me that I was afflicted, and we shall thank God for every storm. So when we are appropriately anchored, we grow spiritually through the storm. And then finally, when we are appropriately anchored, we can help others through the storm. Look at verse 22. Paul says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And then notice verse 34. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength, not for, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And then look, look what verse 36 says. Then they all were encouraged. <laughs> Boy, that is a far cry from verse 20. We're throwing everything on, overboard, and we might as well go overboard too because... We have no hope. Now they're eating and laughing and they're encouraged. When we are appropriately anchored, we can help others through the storm. God used Paul's faith to keep these men alive. Not just his instructions. We're not getting to the end of this story, but but Paul is giving instructions. Everybody stay with the boat. God used his faith to lead and encourage these men who, who had no hope. He comforted them in the storm while going through the storm himself. He wasn't removed from the storm. Like I said, he's just as wet as they are. His food's been tossed overboard too. Did sailors get saved? I don't know. Probably. Paul was always talking about the gospel. I, I, it wouldn't be no doubt when he prayed for the meal. He prayed the gospel. <laughs> Heaven will tell us. But here's the point. If you're like me, it's easy to put ministry on pause amid the storm. And if, you're, if you've done that, if you're doing that right now, no condemnation, no regrets. It's easy to, to kind of push people aside. It, it's tempting to isolate ourselves as we wait for the storm to pass before we return to serving and telling others about Jesus. Mike and Yvette, I'm I'm so grateful you're here. You could be in a home right now. Just, Just bearing through this on your own. But you've chosen to surround yourself with God's people. You've availed yourself. You haven't shut God out. You haven't shut your family, your church family out. That's God's work in you. And it could be his work in all of us. 
Paul doesn't wait until he gets to Rome to assume his mission. He realizes this storm is my mission <laughs> right now because I don't know if I'll get to Rome. Well, I guess he does know because the Lord has told him. He doesn't know when he'll get to Rome. No doubt he wishes the wind would cease and that sun would finally come out. God gives him the grace, as he will you and I, to continue trusting and testifying to Christ at a time when trusting and testifying to Christ is all that you can do. But remember this, it may be the most intriguing time for those that you're testifying to as they watch you walk through a storm. I mean, I, you know, these guys either had to think Paul was crazy you know what, throw him overboard. He's just making this worse. Or, boy, this guy's got something. What is it? How many people might have pulled Paul aside after this meal and said, Paul, tell me, what's the secret? As the world watches you anchored in Christ through the storm, it will prick their curiosity. It, it looks appealing because everybody out there, the serious storms, just like everybody in here. You know what the difference is? We have the hope and power of Christ at work in us. So how can we do that? Well, back to the beginning. The heavenly anchors of God's presence, God's son, and God's character. Listen, what storm is brewing in your life today? God is the God of your storm, and his promise is to be with you and preserve you through it. And that promise is yes and amen, because in Christ, you belong to him. So as long as your storm lasts and as difficult as your storm becomes, you, we can trust God and testify to him with true joy and true peace even in the midst of the storm.